0: Happy New Year. Um, before I jump in here, I just want to say, uh, which I'll probably say every time, I just want to say thank you so, so much for the continual support uh, for me and Lynns and Phoenix and Ava, um, you know, she, uh, the, the texts and hugs and meals, and I, I joke that whenever I come to Heartland, I don't have to wear cologne, because I've hugged so many people by the time, it's just like a potpourri of, of Heartland, of all you love, but... <laughs> Uh, man, it just means so much, and uh, every message and uh, uh, all the support and all the prayers, we feel them, we need them, God's doing something, he's, he's doing so many so many good things, and we're just waiting for the big one, but anyway, uh, happy new year. Um, I do need to say about the new year, I, I, I don't uh, really get new year's resolutions, I get why people do them, I'm about to offend, just defend all of you, um, I get why people do them, I, I just don't get it, I, you know, people get really hyped up about them, and I'm always like, you know, you can run on a treadmill in June. They, they, they allow that. You know, if you, if you stop eating sugar on a Thursday in October, it's just as healthy as, ju- you know. But people in like February are like, I really should start a budget, but it's February. I'll wait till January 1st of next year. I don't want to mess up Amazon.com. You know, I get it. So it's just, I don't quite, but I do, under, I don't understand resolutions, but I do understand needing a fresh start which is the title of this series. We as humans, uh, we are imperfect and we are in frequent need, oftentimes, of a fresh start. Sometimes it's after a breakup, feeling stuck in a job, done binging a Netflix show. We're just ready for something new. Uh, Fresh starts sometimes, you know, happen at like a marked moment in our lives, if there's a big change in career, relationship, or uh, health scare, something like that. Other times we need a fresh start when nothing has changed in a long time, and we're like, hey, I think it's time for something new. I'm in need of a fresh start. The truth is that we are constantly in need of fresh starts. And we uh, have, or maybe are, or at least someday will be in need of a reset, a second chance of fresh start. The reason we have this tree up here representing the idea that when a new plant grows, it is getting a fresh start. That there is life breathed into that as a new plant grows. Sometimes, like you saw from our logo, out of something dead. And so as we launch into 2020... We wanted to start the year and talk about four accounts from Scripture of different people who experienced a fresh start through the power of God himself. And the reason we're doing this is because God is in the business of fresh starts. It is his specialty, and he's an expert at it. The uh, the, the Christianese term, I don't know if you know uses Christianese is like when... when We use weird words like verily. What the heck does that mean? I don't know. I've never used that. But Chris, you know, you hear a word, you're like, are you a Christian? You're like, verily, yes, I am. Anyway, so the Christian (laughs) Christian ease for this is the word transformation, that God is a master at transformation. In fact, he's truly the only one capable of transforming us. It's impossible for us as finite, imperfect, sinful beings to transform ourselves. We can change an eating habit what time we wake up in the morning. But true internal transfer, a transformation of our hearts, of our minds, of our character is something that only God can do in us if we surrender to him. This is something that the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous knew and knew very well. After failing to change by himself, Bill Wilson gave his life to Christ shortly after met Bob Smith who together formed AA and has helped Tens of millions of women and men uh, conquer their destructive drinking habits. But as the founders of this amazing program knew, they couldn't just start AA, sit people down and be like, listen, stop drinking. Cool, you're welcome. See you guys later. No, they understood because they'd experienced it themselves, they could not conquer this without the help of God himself. And this is why the first three steps of AA are this. Step one. Admit that we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Step two, come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. And step three, make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. And based on that foundation of understanding we cannot do it ourselves, that transformation needs to come from God himself. Again, AA has just helped tens of millions of people. And this is true across the board with anything. With alcohol, with drugs, pornography, anger, fear, loneliness, depression, addiction, everything in between, if we want to change, if we want a fresh start, we can deny, we can distract, we can ignore, but in the end, we need God himself to give us a fresh start. The man whose story we're going to be talking about a little bit this morning once wrote this. He said, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so during this series, we're going to do just that. We're going to look at some accounts. We're going to talk about some stories and then invite God to, in our lives, give us the fresh start that we need. Let me pray and then we'll jump in. Lord God, uh, acknowledge your presence in this room. Uh, Jesus, and ask that you would speak to us through your word, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, uh, and more than anything, God, that we would experience your presence in a new, uh, fresh way this morning, and we lift this up to you in your name. Amen. So I've, I've uh, really never been one to, uh, like, hate something so aggressively that I would take action to it. You know, there are certain uh, uh, people that, that feel so strongly about certain things that they, you know, get angry or hateful towards, like, people who eat meat, for example, which I do, sorry, Uh, I eat meat, or, you know, a a certain political view that they just like take this extreme action for, or people who buy products not made in America, they might do things like picket, or write an op-ed, they might write a letter letter to their congressman, get a tattoo, write a book, do an interview, bring it up a lot at family gatherings, which is awkward, you know. Um, And now with the creation of the internet, now people's opinions and maybe hatred towards a particular thing or people or people group has limitless room to grow and to spread. There's blogs and chat rooms and Reddit and email, YouTube channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of these outlets for people to make very clear the things that they hate and why they hate them. Now, before we move on, um, I want to briefly say something about this uh, when it comes to hatred and Christians. Something that upsets me to just the deepest level of my core is the reality that many, many, many people around the world, when they hear the word Christian, immediately associate it with hatred. Um, That if you you mention or they see the word Christian, it conjures images of uh, angry, hateful picketers outside of an abortion clinic or at a gay pride parade or a political event. Many times if, if you mention the word Christian, people could probably quote an article or a comment online that's filled with just negative, hateful, aggressive language towards a person or people group. And I not only does this upset me deeply, I truly believe this breaks the heart of God. There is nothing, nothing in all of Scripture... That would indicate God desires his followers to express anger, hatred, or judgment against anyone who lives or thinks differently than they do. Jesus actually literally taught the exact opposite when he demonstrated with his life and ministry and taught us to love those who might differ from the way that we live or think and to serve those who might persecute us. Again, this isn't my focus today. We could spend hours and hours talking about this, but I just need to take this moment and say, if you're in this room and you have ever been on the receiving end of someone who has claimed to follow Jesus, treating you with hatred or anger or judgment, for whatever it's worth, let me just say, I'm so sorry. Um, That person or group did a terrible job representing the heart and the character and the person of Jesus, the Jesus that I and many of us here at Heartland uh, follow and worship. We're just singing to a moment ago. And if it's any consolation, if there's any way that we here at Heartland can help process through that to offer some forgiveness, to offer some healing in any way, please don't hesitate to let us know because that is not the heart of God. I'd like again. I want to say so much more about that. Uh, that's a different sermon for another a sermon for another day. But for now, uh, again, if there's any way that we can help, um, please let us know. Okay, back to the regular chill. So, uh, as I said, I don't get uh, real worked up about you know being vegan or using organic shampoo or whatever. Uh, but I do have I do have some things that make me angry that I'd like to talk about for a few minutes right now. Uh, the first is when when people in line stand too close behind me man, I don't get it, like, with you're so close, and I'm like, feel the breath on the, you know, you know, like, am I gonna be assassinated right now? Is that what's happening? I'm, I just wanna be like, dude, you'll get your Subway sandwich, like, I, you being here, I was, in, I was in the airport one time, this is true, and I felt the woman here, and I was like, am I, am I gonna die right now? So close, and I dropped something, and I went to pick it up, and I hit her with my, and, and it was awkward, but I wanted to be like, that's on you, okay, that was not, I, I give ample space, ma'am, I don't know what was going on there. Uh, Another thing I really hate is salt on my desserts. I mean, when are we going to join hands across America, people? Salt on caramel? That's gross. What? We have sweet and savory. They're very different, okay? I'm not peppering my fruity pebbles or whatever. Like, let's just, yeah. Please don't take that as an invitation to bring me salty desserts. It will not be funny. Um, I get real worked up when watching fragrance commercials. Like, do you think the people who make fragrance commercials have any idea what real life is like? It's just golden waterfalls and dolphins off and then chiseled shirtless men and just armies of people. And I'm just like, my life is not like that. I don't think I should, de jure. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't want that to be my life, living on just a weird, shiny island with just waterfalls of weird chocolate. Um, This, this makes me so angry. I might pick it for this, actually. Uh, when I get a confirmation email for unsubscribing from an email list. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Unsubscribe. Bloop, congratulations on unsubscribing from it. And I'm like, what's this? Google? Oh, man. It's just me picketing outside Google. Stop the email. You know. uh, the last one I'll say, I'm going to offend a few people. That's my thing. I'm just going to do that. Uh, I, don't, I get real mad when there's a tip jar at places there shouldn't be a tip jar. All right, oh, okay, somebody's mad already. (laughs) I'm just getting started, okay. Uh, It makes sense if you're in the service industry, the beauty industry, the delivery industry, because you're getting paid based on the compensation of tips. I get that, and I tip very well. Even if I get bad service, I'm like, maybe they had a bad day, here's 25%. I tip very well, but uh, there's now tip jars everywhere. We're gonna start, here, I'll put one right here. No, we're not gonna do that. Every, everywhere. The, the worst place for me, I got so weirded out by this, is there's a tip jar at Orange Leaf. I don't know if you've been at Orange Leaf, but I was like, I got my ice cream. I then put my own toppings, I, I swiped my credit card. You just hit okay. <laughs> like, man, the way you hit okay, thank you so much. That was just an amazing, if you work at Orange Leaf, I'm sorry, but... I'm not going to tip you, I'm just, I'm sorry. (laughs) All right, so I get mad about silly, stupid, trivial things, uh, but we're going to look at a story today uh, of a man who deeply, deeply hated something to the core of his being. This man's name is Saul, and Saul, with the passion of a thousand sons, hated anyone who followed Jesus. Uh, we're going to read a part of his story in Acts chapter 9. If you'd like to read along, we'll begin in verse 1. Otherwise, the uh, verses will come up on the side screen as well. So we're going to read through a portion of his story and just kind of pause along the way, and I'll bring some uh, uh, perspective and insight to what's going on with Saul. So uh, Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. I wouldn't kidding. So he went to the high priest. This actually was the same high priest that started uh, the riots to crucify Jesus. This was the same guy. Also, was probably in the temple when the curtain was torn at the time of Jesus' death. Saul went to the high priest, and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Saul hated followers of jesus that term the way uh, is how uh, christians were referred to back in this time in fact the term christian didn't come till later when a roman ruler used it in a derogatory sense as trying to like mock followers of the way, he's like, oh, those Christians, I kind of want to find that guy someday and be like, sucker, now that's what we're called, <laughs> we flipped it on you, anyway. Um, so Saul's main persecution of Christians was happening in Jerusalem, but it was going so well and he hated him so much, he wanted to expand his uh, movement, and so he went to this priest said, hey, write letters to the, to the rabbis in the synagogues in Damascus, I'm going there, we're going to round him up, chain him up, I'm going to drag him back to Jerusalem because I want to kill him and take him out. Uh, We get a picture of even more how much Saul hated Christians from uh, Acts chapter 8, first uh, couple verses, the previous chapter, it says this, this was the moment of the first martyrdom uh, for Jesus, the first person who was killed because of the faith in Jesus, a man named Stephen. Uh, So it uh, Acts chapter 8, 1, says, Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. He was on board with this martyrdom. Uh, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging both men and women to throw them into prison. Saul hated this movement so deeply that he described himself as God's zealot. Uh, this was kind of a play on word because there were Jewish zealots at the time, uh, but their hatred was directed at Rome. So if you were a zealot, it meant that you were a Jewish person that hated the Roman rule, hated that you were, you know, oppressed a little bit by Rome. And so oftentimes zealots would take violent action against Rome. They would seek opportunities to kill a Roman soldier or a Roman citizen. They would try to start violent riots to, you know, fight out against Rome. Uh, Saul says, I, I'm God's zealot, defending uh, this religion from this new movement of Jesus' followers called The Way. Verse 3, as Saul approached Damascus on this mission, uh, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, In scripture, when a word is repeated more than once, it's the uh, ancient equivalent of an exclamation point. So when Jesus in this moment says Saul, the fact that it's repeated twice meant that he said it with quite a lot of energy behind it. Now, Jesus' question to Saul was, of course, rhetorical. He knew why Saul was persecuting him. But in this question, Jesus makes this statement, hey, you shouldn't be persecuting me and my followers because as you've just realized, I am real and alive and my message is true. Also note, I love, this shows us the heart of Jesus a little bit, that Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting my followers? He says, why are you persecuting me? Meaning that when we are persecuted, when we are hurt, Jesus himself shares in our pain. Verse 5, who are you, Lord, Saul asks. Now, he says Lord, but it's a lowercase l. Saul wasn't, uh, you know, addressing him as now his Lord and Savior. That would have been quick if that happened like that. Uh, Instead, this was an aspect of respect. It's like the equivalent of just the word sir. But it's interesting to note that in this very short sentence, Saul experiences this voice, but he instantly recognizes that it's something, someone bigger than himself, and it forces him right away into humility and respect. The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. Uh, Jesus' message to Saul is not very long. He doesn't need to spend a whole lot of time explaining it, because as the way he did it, Saul was already pretty convinced that he was real. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat and did not drink. Now, now think about these three days for Saul. Uh, There were two things that just radically changed his life. The first was that he was now blind. And at some point during this process, God told him he would be healed. But up until then, in the ancient world, being blind wasn't necessarily a death sentence, but it would have effectively ruined his life. That Saul, going from a prominent, a Pharisee with stature, with respect, with influence, now being blind, would more likely than not end up begging on the street, relying on the generosity of strangers for money or for food or to guide him around. Secondly, he now faced the reality that the message of Jesus, the thing he had devoted his life to eradicating, was the truth. Sitting for three days in darkness with no food and no water, his heart, his mind, his spirit must have been going through quite the wrestling match. Pick it up in verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. That one's capitalized. The Lord said, go to Straight Street. I didn't know they had street names in ancient Israel. Go past the RBs into no. Uh, go to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him in a vision, a man named Ananias is coming to lay hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. Ananias is like all due respect, Lord. You got the wrong. It was the wrong text, bro. This uh, this is like the killer guy. He's coming here to wipe us out. But God replied. Uh, the Lord said, "Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake." Guys, Jesus is so brilliant. Since his death. And resurrection meant salvation for the entire world, not just his chosen people. That was just the vessel through which Jesus came. His his death and resurrection was salvation to the entire world. He now needed someone to take that message to the entire world, and he chooses Saul who was perfect. First off, as I mentioned, Saul was a Pharisee, and so he knew the Old Testament scriptures backwards and forwards. By the age of 12, he most likely had not only the Torah memorized, but commentary on the Torah memorized as well. And so as as we see in Saul's story later, when he explains the message of Jesus to the Jewish people, he can connect dots to the Old Testament prophecies in ways that convinced many, 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 many people. Not only that, but his reputation, having sped far and wide, as being so against the message of Jesus that when he shows up and get, begins preaching that it's true, anybody is going to listen. In fact, the reason we know him as Paul, the Apostle Paul, is because he changed his name from Saul, which was his Hebrew name, to Paul, which was his Roman name, to be more appealing to those Gentile people that would be able to welcome him, him in and receive his message. He was literally the perfect bridge from the Savior of the world who came through the Jewish people to now reach the entire world and is a major part of why we're all sitting in this room right now. Verse 17, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul. Now picture this moment. Saul who had used his hands for like violent and hatred and you know, causing pain against followers of the way. A follower of the way comes to Saul, lays his hands on him, on him in love and calls him brother. He says, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Man, this moment for Saul. This was the beginning, the continuation of his fresh start. Uh, In Acts 22, a few chapters later, Paul is telling his story about this moment, and he goes into more detail of what Ananias said to him. In Acts 22, Paul says, Ananias said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak, for you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same guy who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Again, he's connecting those dots from the Old Testament to Jesus fulfilling these prophecies. I kind of laughed at this portion because portion, I figured, remember, he had sent the letters ahead to the religious leaders in the synagogue saying, like, yo, we're going to round him up, get the chain. And so I picture him, like, walking in, and they're like, sweet, Saul, let's go. Let's go get him. And he's like, little change of plans. Uh, you're like, we got the change. He's like, no, no we don't need the change. We're good. I'm going to now preach that Jesus is the truth. Total 180. And as it said, he started convincing the Jewish people that this was true. Uh, Saul escaped some of the Jews who weren't convinced and wanted to kill him because they thought he was wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, but then he, begins, uh, he goes to Jerusalem and begins preaching the message of Jesus again. Verse 28. Uh, so Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews. See, Saul wrote this line between uh, Jew and Gentile that just was perfect for Jesus' message to spread. Uh, but they tried to murder him. That's a bad end to a debate. I don't know if you're in a debate club, but murder's pretty much the worst way it can end. So they tried to murder him. Uh, when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away back to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace. Throughout Judea, Remember the previous chapter said there was persecution, there was, there was uh, anger, there was violence against Christians, but now it says the church had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. Not the fear of Saul, the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Saul's fresh start was a turning point in the movement of Jesus' message. Because of how Jesus was using Saul there were now Jews and Gentiles knowing the message of salvation through Jesus. And there was a peace unlike any other, and the rest is documented history. Through Saul, who became Paul, the message of Jesus spread far and wide to regions of the ancient world, to the most powerful nations at that time, which made it spread even further. In addition, the letters that Paul wrote to some of the early churches of that time now make up the majority of our New Testament scripture. Saul received a major fresh start he went from being radically against this movement to arguably the boldest spokesperson in history for this movement and this morning the message of Saul's story is this is that it is never too late for a fresh start if it should have been too late for anybody it would have been this man But even if you had spent your entire life in hateful opposition towards God or the message of Jesus, you are not eliminated from the love and the power of Jesus to give you also a fresh start. It is never too late with God. There are times when it is too late, when you you hit send on the text, you can't grab the, you know, you send the email. Google has like the undo thing, but it's way too short. It's like three seconds. I'm like, I should probably, oh no, too late. it's too late when the words, when are you due, come out of your mouth. <laughs> due <Do> for what? <laughs> your dentist appointment. <laughs> That's my go-to. I'm kidding. I don't really say that. It's too late a lot of times. We run out of too lateness, but it is never too late to, with God. And the truth is that the, the life that we live in nature, we don't often get second chances. Very rarely do we get second chances. The antelope doesn't get a second chance to escape the lion. You chop a tree down, that tree is now dead. Being fired from a job doesn't mean you can just go back to your boss and ask for an extension. They'll be like, sure, we'll keep you on for a couple more months. see what happens, see if I change my mind. If you're broken up with, there isn't a fresh start button to say, hey, let's try again and see if we fall in love. It'd be creepy, don't do that anyway. But that doesn't exist. There are not often second chances in life, but with God, there's always a second chance. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us, no matter what we've thought or done in the past, there are always second and third and 10 trillion chances chances with God. God gives us infinite fresh starts. In his letter to the church in Rome, the Gentile church in Rome, Paul in the book of Romans writes this. He says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. He was convinced because he's like, I should have been and I was not. Neither death nor life, angels nor demons, nor our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Saul went from Jesus' enemy to Jesus' ambassador. And if any of you in this room or, or listening in your car or watching on your laptop, if, if you have ever thought that your past hatred or maybe just indifference or neutrality towards God or towards Jesus would in any way, make you less likely of a candidate for God to want to give you a fresh start, I'm here to tell you you're wrong because there is nothing that would eliminate you from God wanting to give you a fresh start. If someone like Saul can get a fresh start, anyone can get a fresh start. As we talk uh, around here a lot, the mission of Heartland is to awaken a diverse community to Jesus. And man, we live by that to the T. Especially that word, Diversity. We mean that in our hearts. Our desire is to reflect the kingdom of God in this building and in this community for anyone who is a part of Heartland. And that means having people together who don't always agree. We desire racial diversity, political diversity, lifestyle diversity, economic diversity, ability diversity, gender diversity, and including religious diversity. Part of the reason we're a non-denominational church is that we want those of all beliefs to feel welcome in this place like they can be part of this community. Jesus spent his ministry knocking down walls that others had put up between each other, between God's people. The religious leaders at that time, their message was like, hey, you have to do it exactly like us, otherwise you're not, you can't get in. Otherwise God's going to be mad. Jesus came and obliterated that thought, teaching that it's about our hearts, not about some formulaic behavior. We are people. We are imperfect. We are all going have varying different opinions and different perspectives on almost anything you can imagine, that does not mean we cannot live and exist and worship the same God together. We operate under the belief that you don't have to believe or think a certain way to walk through these doors and be a part of this community. God's kingdom is exclusively filled with imperfect people. We are all one of them. Now, of course, we're going to be very open with our belief that we believe Jesus is the true Son of God, the resurrected Son of God who gave his life to be known and know us deeper, to give us salvation both now and for all eternity. And as long as you're okay with us talking about that, you don't have to like agree 100% with anything to be a part of Heartland, to be a part of this community. We want anybody and everybody here. And as I said, to those of you who might have spent your life uh, in neutral indifference or outright hatred towards God, to those of you who might have been dinged or hurt by Christians or churches in the past, we don't require you to sign anything to come be a part of Heartland. And if we in any way can be a part of that process, part of that healing, part of your fresh start, gosh, we would love that more than anything. One of my favorite truths about Jesus is that he invited his disciples, his closest followers, to follow him before he asked them to believe in him. So even if you're here and you're not sure even about God, if God's real, you're not even sure about this whole Jesus thing, you are welcome here to follow Jesus, to learn about Jesus, even to talk to Jesus before we would, like, require you to believe in him in any way. Now, your fresh start uh, might not look like Paul's. uh, Saul's. It might not be like an immediate thing. You might not walk out of here and be blinded in the parking lot. And, I mean, that'd be cool. It wouldn't be cool. The blind thing would be cool, but the you know, fresh start would be cool. Um, in fact, oftentimes our fresh starts need to be a process. Uh, after Paul's experience, when he went back to Tarsus, there was an 18-year period between uh, when he went back to Tarsus and when he, st- when he began his ministry that we now all know. Eight, almost two decades of time when God was preparing him for what was to come. And so for your fresh start, whether it's a significant thing or it seems like a teeny tiny thing, oftentimes our fresh start might be a process. But Saul's fresh start came because he experienced something. I don't know if you've ever been like adamantly against something or ignorant to something and then you experience it and it totally changes your perspective. This, uh, this was true of Chick-fil-A for me. I was like, there's no way it's that good. And then I bit one and I was like, it's totally that good. The other one of this with me is uh, DVD players in cars. Like pre-kids, man, I was super judgmental. You know, I'd see like the v- video in the car and I'm like, Just talk to your kids, come on. And then I had them, and I was like, what, I can play Mickey and talk to my wife? And so now when I'm driving and I see that, I just get out, and I I was like, I'm so sorry I judged you. Keep watching the, yeah, don't, I don't do that. Saul was blatantly against Jesus until he experienced Jesus and could not deny the truth. And our desire here at Heartland, everything we do around here is to hope that anybody who walks through these doors, no matter what they think or believe or their perspective is, is that in some way they could experience the risen, living Jesus through this weekend service, through groups, through kids ministry, through 608, whatever the case may be, our heart, our desire is that you would experience Jesus and that in doing so, it would offer you a fresh start. I want to close with a story of uh, one of the first people I ever met when I first uh, uh, came on staff here about four and a half years ago was a guy named Willie. Uh, Willie was a student in our student ministries. He's all the way on the right in this picture. There's Willie in the sunglasses. Uh, So I met Willie, and he told me his story, which is incredible. Uh, But he talked about early on in high school, uh, he hated religion. He says, I was very lost, depressed, and overall hopeless. I had no motivation in life and no morals to live by. I was always a strong believer in the idea that when we die, we just rot in the ground and there's nothing more to it. I did not believe in a God, and I thought anyone who did believe in a God was insane and couldn't handle the truth that this life we live is pointless. A little bit later, after some encouragement from his dad uh, to just investigate and research some some religion, uh, Willie decided to become a Buddhist. He he studied the, the teachings of Buddha and decided to practice Buddhism. Uh, About that season of life, he says, my overall outlook on life changed for the better as I studied and practiced the teachings of Buddhism, but little did I know, a God that I did not yet believe in was about to bring me right into his arms. Isn't that the greatest sentence? A God I did not yet believe in was about to bring me right into his arms. Willie was invited by some friends to attend Heartland's youth group here. He felt welcome, he enjoyed worship, he actually listened to the teachings. Uh, He went on a missions trip and felt God's presence for the first time in his life. Upon coming back, uh, he did his own research, dug into scripture a little bit, and he invited the youth pastor who was here at Heartland to come over to his house so he could ask some very tough questions. And about that night, after the youth leader left, Willie says, I think that night I I knew for sure I wanted to lay my life down to God because I couldn't deny his existence anymore. He lit a fire in my heart. Later that year, during the summer of his sophomore year, he went on a missions trip to the Bahamas, and there he was baptized, and that's what this picture is right here. A few years later, uh, he stood in a pool with me right outside in our back parking lot, and we had the privilege of baptizing his mom, who came to know Jesus because of her son. Willie uh, began attending Midwestern Baptist, Baptist Theological Seminary right after high school and is studying to become a pastor. It was not too late for Willie. It was not too late for Saul. And it's not too late for you. I want to end with uh, this scripture from Paul writing to a church in the city of Corinth. He says, "But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You know, if you pictured like the scales falling from his eyes. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. If you need a definition of a fresh start, that's it right there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your, in the story of Saul, your, your love is just seen so profoundly that this man who is dead set against ending your movement through your love and through your power, became its biggest ambassador. And Lord, for those of us in this room uh, who are hurting or stagnant and in desperate need of a fresh start, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move and that you would speak. Whether it's an instant or whether it's a process, God, that our fresh start would begin the moment we walk out these doors. And as you promise, you are faithful to complete the work that you begin in us. So, Lord, the words and the the presence that you have spoken this morning, I pray you would seal it in our hearts and anything else would fall away. In Jesus' name, amen.